Hey everybody, this is Derwin from the Derwin Lester Show, and with me today is my old friend, the Rocket Man himself, Nick Oaks. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Derwin. I'm always glad to be here. And today, I want to go deep into our mutual love of military science fiction. Uh, let's start with you. Where did you first get inspired by it? Well, I think for me, um, it was... I, my, I'm, I'm tempted to say it was twofold, but really it was only one thing, and that is aliens. For most, <laughs> for most people who've been alive in the last, you know, 30, I guess it's 36 years now, it starts yeah. with aliens. Because, you know, when I was a little, when I was a little kid, and when I, I say little, I was probably, you know, little is relative, I was probably like 10. Um, little. Probably, maybe a little younger, maybe a little too young to be watching Alien, but I digress. But I saw Alien, and then I th and then I was like, well, I saw Alien. I need to watch Aliens. And Obviously. you know, when you when you when you when you are inculcated into the cult of the Colonial Marines, you just never look back. Exactly. Take that for you take that first trip out on the Sulaco. You never look back. So it was the uh, talk to me about the Colonial Marines. What was because I've read a lot of your work, and there's a lot of aliens in there. There's a lot of Starship Troopers in there. You know, like, we've talked several times about how it's pretty obvious that you and I have a lot of the same touchstones for pop culture and literature and things. Yep. So I'm noticing your work, there's a lot of, like, colonial marines in there. Uh, talk to me about that. What in Aliens glommed on you with colonial marines? Well, it's... When it comes down to it, it's something that and it's something I was talking with a friend of mine last night, actually. You know, and, and, and to, to explain this, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. So bear with me. Bear with me. Podcast is a great place to do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's like uh, I'm watching a show with my dad. Um, yeah. It's been on. It's, it's, a, it's a Canadian show about like a, it's, it's it's like a detective show, but it's been on the air for like 13 years. Still, it, it, it's, it's apparently started airing in like 2008 or nine, and it's still on the air. Um, nice. And the reason it's, I think anyway, the reason it still sticks around and sticks in people's heads isn't necessarily because of the plot line. Because, you know, the show, a show like that, the plot line can come or go. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an episodic show. It's, it's, it's a basically a case of the week show. But you stick, around, you stick around for the characters. You yeah. stick around for the, for the work that, that the actors and the showrunners and the writers put in to make the characters seem like real people. So that, yeah. in a way, is what gets you engrossed in, say, a Colonial Marine story or a Starship Trooper story. Yeah, of course, the story of, you know, fighting the bugs or fighting the xenomorphs yeah. or fighting the, you know, 10-foot-tall, three-armed reptiloids from Mars or whatever is interesting. But you stick around because the characters that are doing that fighting, doing that warring, are interesting and engaging you, you feel like oh i could be one of them or oh i can have yeah. a beer with one of them they feel like somebody you could either like you know if, if you're a veteran um they feel like someone you might have known while you were in the service if you're like a, if, you're, if you're a civilian they feel like someone you might have known who was in the service they feel like people that are real the um i and and we'll we'll move into starship troopers because i literally just finished that like 10 minutes ago before we got on this call and I remember watching this, and the girl, not Diz, uh, the one who becomes a pilot. Mm -hmm. Carmen. Carmen, yeah. Um, oh, man. I, I, 
I was once very infatuated with a Carmen type. Um, the type was familiar. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I hate you. <laughs> Just bringing back terrible memories from my early 20s. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I did that once. <laughs> I and, and and when Carmen is with Rico in the beginning and then she meets this other guy in training and then she goes oh I like you now and then Rico is like hey man what the fuck and then they're fist fighting and the promenade and I'm like oh I remember this I saw eight versions of this, <laughs> you know, and that's not to say anyone's, you know, I'm not saying casting stones or judgment or anything. It's more like, oh, this is pretty spot on realistic, you know, um, you could die tomorrow. So you kind of want a little bit of physical comfort that's nearby. And well, you hit the nail on the head, even even speaking as someone who wasn't obviously in that world in that environment at any point in my life um, yeah you take a bunch of tw early 20 something men and women obviously in the case of starship troopers and of course you yeah. know in the written world in the real world military more so obviously today than that world when heinlein wrote the original book even um, yeah you take that you take that sort of sexually charged atmosphere that, that already exists for people of that age and then you make them all constantly around each other constantly you know, filling their heads with bravado and everything. It's it's yeah. very, it's like you said, it's very testosterone fuel. There's lots of that. There's lots of free roaming energy and again, stuff. We, we did not, not have co-ed showers because that's just like asking for trouble. Um, <laughs> we had co-ed bathrooms at times, but not showers. Um, and I don't know. At a certain point, you're just like, well, you know, that's just Sarah. You know, Sarah's not any particular person. Um, but yeah, Starship Troopers, um, it's... And to go deeper into Starship Troopers, which is great, uh, there's that lovely element of satire. It's the most, you know, sort of glossy, fantastically fascist world, right? <laughs> it's gleefully fascist. It's so much fun, and everyone's dying horrible deaths. Yeah, but it's really brightly colored, right? And Except it, for the Nazi it, uniforms. It rewards. <laughs> it rewards multiple reviewings because you oh. there's stuff. There's stuff you pick apart that like now. Full disclosure: I watch a lot of movie reactors, like people who watch movies right. like professionally, basically. You know, like watch a movie and then like comment on it as they're watching because I had nothing better to do with my life. <laughs> really. I obviously have plenty good to do with my life but like when I'm when I watch YouTube a lot of times I watch reactors because it's a way to basically watch a movie that you've seen a thousand times a fresh a new because it's like watching it with a friend who's never seen it because you get to know these people obviously but my point is in watching Starship Troopers a lot of times you realize things and like especially they, they point things out like you ever notice how at the start of the movie um the propaganda showing the arachnid soldier bug eating the cow. The cow's death is censored, but then it immediately smash cuts to the Mormon colony on whatever bumfuck planet it is that was attacked. 
And those people are laying there with their brains hanging out uncensored because, oh, they deserve to die. So why do we care what it looks like when they're dead? <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta get inside the mentality of this world you gotta realize that you know it's one of those things where yeah um you can't show a cow you can't show a cow being mutilated but we can show execution on the nightly on the nightly tv for for pay-per-view mandatory viewing at six o'clock it said yeah. would you like to know more sure that'd be great um there was the way that the the teacher in the early parts of the, the movie, the guy who's missing a hand, um, when Rico is like, sir, should I join? What should I do? The teacher is giving very measured responses, right? Because the service took his hand, but also they live in Nazi Germany, even though everyone's just you know, uh, hot and 25 and rich and whatever. He live in Nazi Germany, so he kind of has to watch his P's and Q's. Well, and, you know, again, this, this isn't like an offer as far as this discussion goes. I just, re in, in the interest of having this chat, I, I watched, um, I can't remember the guy's name. I could look up his video and link it to you if you ever, if you wanted to mention it in your, in your, in your, in your comments for this episode or something. There's a gentleman sure. on YouTube right, who does a channel where he does things called like retrospective and review or something like that. And he's, he did one for all three of Paul Verhoeven's like trilogy of sci-fi satire movies, you know, starting with Robocop, then Total Recall, then um, Starship Troopers. And he points out that when, when Paul Verhoeven was originally, you know, tapped to direct Starship Troopers, he envisioned it pretty much specifically as a satire of fascist society based on his own experience living in Nazi-occupied Holland. Oh and, shit, he lived in that? Yeah, yeah. Paul Verhoeven lived in Nazi-occupied Holland during World War II, and he specifically based his idea of this, because the, the original script wasn't as much of a satire as much as, as much as it was kind of a straight, like, oh, this is gung-ho, we're going to do this and that. Yeah. Well, he, he said, no, I'm going to take this and make it a critique of that type of life and that, that, that type yeah. of mindset. And obviously, it's like, you know, again, I made a comment on one of those reaction videos that I watched where someone someone had, had commented, huh, Carl's uniform looks kind of like an SS uniform, doesn't it? And I said, yeah, that's not my mistake. That's on purpose. <laughs> There's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. And... You know, and sometimes they really shine a light on it where you've got the guy at the desk at the at the in-processing center. He's like, the mobile infantry made me into the man I am today. He's just like three, you know, eighths of a guy or something, right? He's just he's one arm. He's two yeah. Arm. yeah, he's got two, he's got like two, two arms, one of which is, I think one of which is robotic. And he's got no legs. Yeah. And, you know, and then, but then you've got that professor teacher guy who's kind of, because I'm watching this, I'm trying to see, like, oh, is he trying to nudge him toward it or against it? And he's kind of, you know, that classic response where someone says, what should I do? You say, well, what do you think you should do? So that way, if you say some stuff that's against the body politic, my name's Paul and this is between y'all, you know. Yeah. And you talk, you talk, I'm thinking. No, you're fine, uh yeah, I mean, again, going back to the whole Paul Verhoeven connection, Paul Verhoeven specifically cast, I don't know about all of them, but I mean, it mentioned in that video again that 
he cast he 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 wanted Casper Van Dien because he thought he looked like the perfect like Aryan oh yeah Superman to be oh yeah his rock, oh my know? god he, he, which is again handsome symmetrical face <laughs> it's 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 ironic that they live in Argentina. Not a lot of Hispanic people in Buenos Aires. Well, the thing is, if you've never heard, here, here, I'll, 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 I'll explain the, I'll explain the reference this way by telling a joke. There's three. You should never ask a man what he makes, a woman her age, or an Argentinian what what division in the SS his abuelo served in. <laughs> I never heard that. Oh man, I'm I'm currently uh, rediscovering Starship Troopers myself. Yeah, and I never not stopped loving the movie, but like I thought I had it, and then I looked through my DVDs and I couldn't find it, so I'm like, oh, I'll just rent it off Amazon. And I'm like, oh, there's like three of them, and then there's cartoons. Yeah, I, I need to I need to dig more deeper into the that fantastic gleefully fascist well but so moving on from that i think i would say if there's a military sci-fi movie i love the most it's starship troopers if there's and that's a... the earth text you know it's funny that starship troopers the movie didn't come out until 1997 because the, the original novel well obviously very different from the movie in like notably different. Like everyone who yeah. points out, you know, everyone who ever, like any analyst who ever talks about the movie and the book in relation to each other, really only ever talks about how different they are from each other. But the the text is is the Ur text. You know, it's it's the yeah. it's the source text for military sci-fi. Basically, you know, there was other stuff that came before it, but when that came out, and I want to say like late fifties, I think maybe fifty nine. Yeah. You know, yeah. that again, that's people. I've seen people talk extensively in forums or on you know, analysis videos, or whatever, about how um, you know aliens basically is unconsciously, if not directly consciously, re responding to and, and sort of in, being influenced by Starship Troopers, and then everything that came after aliens is being influenced by both of them. There's another one. Um, obviously, we're not really talking about books as much, but please tonight. But you know, if you if you've never read the Forever War. Please read the Forever War. Talk to me about the Forever War. The Forever War is basically um, it is to the Forever War is here. I know you, you'll get you'll get this reference. You remember Doctor Schick, the, the film professor that you didn't like um, that, that we had. <laughs> well, she my my capstone class was with her, and yeah. it was it was a war in cinema. And in that class, she taught two films back to back. She taught John Wayne's The Green Berets, and she taught um, Full Metal Jacket. And she taught them as a sort of dichotomy in how the Vietnam War was approached during the war and then after the war when it had been critically reappraised by the American public. And yeah. obviously, you probably can get the, you probably get the inference there without me having to go too much into detail. But basically, the Forever War is to military science fiction as. Um, the Full Metal Jacket is to Vietnam War because the guy who wrote the yeah go ahead. I was gonna say what I remember the Forever War. Uh, he's a Vietnam vet. And yes, he is. He um, didn't want to write a propaganda piece. Yeah, he wanted to actually say, "Hey, this is what war is," 
it's not glorious. People die for no reason, uh, and it's a bummer. Yeah. And that's, is that, uh, that's exactly what it is. I was I was I was enthralled when I read that book, but it's yeah. but it's a hard read because basically he and his like the books. Just to give a little bit of background for those of your viewers, listeners, whoever who who haven't who aren't aware of the story, it starts off in the future. Obviously, it's it's in our past already. From, from modern perspective, but it starts off in the future from when it was written and the main character and a bunch of other young smart people are drafted into the United Nations Defense Force to go fight these aliens that have supposedly been attacking human ships off the frontiers of space. And, you know, they go through a training that's so brutal that people are dying in training. They get sent off to fight and they're like, you know, they're, they're slaughtering these aliens like in their villages they were like with like post-hypnotic suggestion induced like killing rampages and then they get in, and then they get involved in like these uh, space battles where people are dying in their crash couches because of the g forces and you know they have they're powerless to do anything to protect themselves and then the, the and then the cherry on top the thing that really is that, that for a lot of people me included is really the kicker of the story it's not necessarily even about the war as much as it is the alienation they felt when they got home because, because the world had passed them by. Yes, because because of time dilation, because the fact yeah. that to get to, to get to the places where they're actually going to fight, they have to go th you know near light speed, which means that time is passing slower for them, relatively speaking, than it is for the rest of the world. So when you know um, Mandela, that's the character's name. It's his last name. I can't remember his first name. Um, William Mandela, I think. When he gets back to um, Earth, it's like fifty years in the future. And human society has changed just enough that he no longer fits in. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to do now? So he just basically re-enlists and goes off to fight again. When he comes back, it's like a, a hundred years in the future. And it's basically the further he gets into the war, the further and further he gets from home. And yeah. it's, 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 that, it's that story of not just the, whole, the alienation of actually doing the fighting, but the alienation of coming home and trying to readjust to a society that has left you behind. And at the end of it, humans have evolved so much that they're essentially um, analogous with the enemy right yeah, yeah I, think, I think that that's that's the big twist at the end is that it's, it's 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 sort of it's never really said explicitly at least not in that novel because I know there are sequels but it's kind of it's kind of implied that basically the reason the war ended is because humans evolved enough that we were finally able to communicate with the aliens and we realized the whole thing was just a misunderstanding. Yeah, and then there's a colony set aside for the soldiers that had been living through a time dilated experience. I can, I can 100% relate there. Um, you know, I often felt like I was put into a. I stepped out of the universe uh, in 2006, and then you know I get off active duty in 2011, and I'm like, oh, what? Yeah. What's happening? Like you just said, you basically stepped out of the world for five years. Yeah, you know? it, it's and that's really the closest you, you know going on going on active duty and for five years and then coming back and trying to readjust is basically the closest you can get to a William Mandela experience in the real world. We were I, we I, it was a YouTube comment section, but there was an interesting discussion on it that I was a part of recently, where a lot of people. The vast, vast, vast majority of veterans 
assimilate back into society to a certain degree. You know, in that they have families, they have jobs, they have housing, right? They hit the basics. At the vast majority, at the very least, clear that bar. There is a small fraction, a, a, a fraction of a fraction that don't. And you have to, when you go to basic training, you have to like do a hard reset on who you are as a person. And then you're a part of a collective, right? What they don't tell you is that the military is a super collectivist socialist organization, right? Because when people talk about socialism, I'm like, oh, I did that once for like 13 years. I, it was, you know, varying degrees. But, um, and those people, when they get out, sometimes the readjusting doesn't really work. They can't quite hold down a job because of the things they had to do, the person they had to become, the sort of like continuous fight or flight response that was nonstop where if you failed people died right all that fucking pressure that's on your shoulders and it just you're like oh but this was the world and then you get to this whole other place and they're like what do you why are you so upset why are you so tense what's wrong and then you know those people join extremist movements like the proud boys like the people that put on the horns and charge the capital right mm -hmm. you know i try not to get super political with this platform but domestic terrorism is bad yeah i feel pretty I mean, safe saying if domestic violence used to promote your political beliefs against civilians and united states political officials is domestic terrorism which is bad and the question was, why don't people assimilate there? And then you kind of touch on that a little bit where the whole world passes you by, you know? And anyway, you good? Yeah, sorry, I was just calling my dog. Got it, okay. My, da cool. my dad just let him out of his bedroom and he's uh, sniffing around. I don't want him to get in trouble. But I can, I can see where Mandela could be a symptom of that where a lot of veterans who came back to Vietnam or the forever war mm -hmm. um, you know they're like oh the world's so different and I don't know how to be a person again also you know I cry randomly in the shower sometimes yeah. you know and you know it's you know thinking just thinking here obviously again can't speak to this experience myself um i've never yeah. even been outside the country let alone having been to afghanistan or someplace like that especially now on, on, on military duty but i imagine that we're going to have some in, in a weird sort of horribly morbid way i'm kind of interested to see what sort of science like what sort of military science fiction comes out of, of the afghanistan generation because you know we basically had vietnam but longer you know, we had, we had 20 years of people in the, in the mountains and in the deserts of Afghanistan that turned out really to be for nothing. And now they're kind of just wondering, hmm, what did all that mean? And, and it's that, basically, it's like I said, it's basically Vietnam 2.0. Yeah, that's, and that's the hard part. And I would say, I would say the meaning is dependent on the person. Mm -hmm. Right. I would, I would only suggest that maybe it 
it didn't it meant something yeah oh i'm not saying it yeah yeah and you're fine not trying to put Uh, words in anyone's mouth no you're fine you're fine just i'm i'm an iraq that but there is a piece of meaning there we had our miracle at dunkirk you know we evacuated a hundred thousand refugees out some live in my neighborhood you know they're very nice in that they ignore me <laughs> and I ignore them and life is good. You know, that's the beauty of my neighborhood, my little corner. Of, it's a, you know, there's a bunch of different types of people. Everyone ignores each other. It's awesome. The and American dream. It's the American dream. You buy Ignore and be ignored by decent people who are just living their lives. Yeah. It's kind of a, that's the social contract. I'll ignore you if you ignore me. And we'll return each other's mail when it's delivered improperly. But no, it's, I can see where a lot of people would feel sad. I've talked to Afghan vets about that. And some of them kind of made peace with that war a long time ago. Some, you know, some never will. And that kind of goes back to people failing to assimilate a little bit. And and I think that is an interesting vein to mine. But also that's not really a military science fiction vein. That's more of a that, that's closer to Rambo, right? I never actually the original saw, I never saw First Blood. I've only seen Rambo 4. <laughs> You've never is, seen First Blood? I have never seen First Blood. I've only seen you the first blood. That people, you know, again, I watch reaction videos. There's like compilations of people watching like the like the final five minutes of, of First Blood, where Ram, which you know, a lot of people call Stallone's five five greatest minutes of acting. Like he goes on, like he goes on a tirade about how you know coming back from the war basically left him a broken man, and you know he made you know he says something to the effect of. Uh, What's the line? You know, I, over there, I was in charge of million-dollar equipment. Over here, I can't even get a job parking cars. Yeah. I remember being a guy who... I remember being Doc and being the guy that people came to with their problems and having late nights with captains and first sergeants and stuff and going over people and, and, and their problems and who's doing well in the platoon or whatever. And, like, with Rambo, you get out. You're like, oh, I'm fuck you know i remember going from that to being an unarmed security guard at a call center and it was it was jet lag man it really was um okay so back uh, let's back back to more mainstream military sci-fi away from maybe the the more melancholy um cerebral military (laughs) sci-fi that deals with the afterwards that's actually where kind of where most of my passion is or, or or I don't know. I I always loved military science fiction. I grew up on it. I was raised on it. There was like like your book you're talking about. There was uh, a, a quadrilogy uh, that John Ringo wrote called The Posling Cycle. And in this, aliens, kind of like the bugs in Starship Troopers, land on Earth in like the early 2000s. And, you know, they're kind of like feral lizards and it's the humans adapting with alien technology to fight them, right? It's 
it's a wonderful operatic story. Um, the sorts of stories that always grip me the most are kind of melancholic, sad science fiction, military science fiction stuff, right? Yeah. But I know for me, Battlestar Galactica was probably my favorite example of military science fiction on a TV show, right? I love Star Trek. I love Stargate. I love Babylon 5. Battlestar is goddamn realistic as hell. Like, it is... It, it is... It is near... Pick, I've never been on a Navy ship, but having been in the military as long as I, I was, you could go there and be like, oh, people are... You know, they sing songs. They sing cadences. They have military burying and protocol and stuff and sometimes you know you just gotta punch people and it was that was like four seasons of melancholic sadness right <laughs> where they lose the big war they lose the apocalypse war and they just bolt run for it while the people that killed all their friends are chasing them and in that, though, they deal with class, they deal with religion, they deal with, um, like, for example, you've got not some ships in the Battlestar Galactica fleet or the pleasure ships, Cloud Nine, I think one of them is called. It's a vacation place. And some of them uh, are mining vessels. Some of them process raw ore into things that the military can use. Uh, it's a real easy class distinction that they show in that and one of the, the chief engineer Chief Tyrrell for Battlestar Galactica talks to Commander Adama and says hey the people on the mining ore ship um, are just as valuable as the people on Cloud 9 but their lives are infinitely worse and you've got little kids growing up on the mining ship that will only know how to process the raw ore. So you're creating this class system already of lower class people who only live these menial lives. And it's, it's you know, you're never going to have a completely equal and fair society. But boy, it's kind of nice if, you know, it's the it's not so drastically unequal, right? Like, it's never, nothing's ever realistically going to be 100% equal. That's silly. But, you know, maybe you could have it be like 70-30 instead of like 95-5. You know, that's a more, you could shoot for that. But what are your, what are your thoughts on Battlestar? I'm assuming you've seen Battlestar, right? Like, Actually, I have not. I feel kind of what ashamed of that. Fuck. Yeah. Are you serious? I think you you suggest you suggested me to watch it back um, when we first met, like at IEPY, like five years ago. I said yeah, six hey, years ago it would have been, or something like that. I what? Have it's you on seen my list. It's on my list for sure. You? I've been waiting. For, I've been waiting for like the right the right. I don't know circumstance. I don't know what you would call it. But I I want to watch it. It's just that I missed it when it first came out because it was definitely for me it was that sort of thing where it was so it was so hyped up that it, it could never live up to the hype in my mind. So. It came out in two thousand and three. <laughs> of course you missed it. 
You were like seven years old. I was nine. Okay. <laughs> I was watching Stargate at seven years old. Well, yeah, but that's pretty, that's pretty, um, you know, uh, family friendly. Um, okay, so you don't, you're not really up on Battlestar, but when you are, we'll talk. Yo, for sure. I mean, but uh, here, I'll tell you the one thing. When you told me, hey, make be thinking about your five top like sci military sci-fi shows and movies, I made a list. And yeah. I put Battlestar Galactic on that list, even without having seen it. Because even without having seen it, I, I recognize and I respect its importance. <laughs> because I've not. seen, I, from what I have, from, from, from little clips that I've seen here and there, from like the analysis mm -hmm. videos that talk about it or mention it. You know, there was a video I watched just, I think, maybe... Maybe earlier this week, maybe last, maybe last week, something like that. Where um, there's this guy on YouTube. Um, his, his channel's called Space Doc, and he talks yeah. about like, have you ever seen him? I he, think he, he does it, yeah. like he does like videos about space, about sci-fi spaceships and series and all sorts of stuff like that. And he was talking about how to make good space combat. And one of his one of his key examples for good space combat was space combat was I think. The Battle of New Caprica, or something like that, but it's the one where it's the one where the two battle stars are going off, or going against the four base stars. Oh, it's so good! I'm gonna spoil the fuck out of it. I don't even give a shit. It's okay, and I remember. I, I saw thing. I saw the clips of it on on the show. Oh, it's so good, Nick. How can, how have you not seen this? Oh, it brings a it just it'll it'll bring it to like stoic manly tears because fucking. Okay, so end of season two, the the humans settle on what would be known as an M class planet um, in Star Trek, where it's habitable, but like just barely. Like it's kind of like, oh, we're going to live in Arizona, right? Mm -hmm. You can live in Arizona. You can grow. That's an affront there. against God. It's fucking Arizona, like <laughs> and. You can live there, but do you wanna? You know, yeah. I've been to Arizona. It's hot. Um, and you've got people thinking, "Oh, the war is over. We found a planet that's surrounded by a nebula where the alien, the robots, will never come find us." And so you got people disembarking. You got people, you know, separating from service and saying, "Oh, I get to maybe be a human again and see what being a person is like." Instead of being constantly on the clock, ready for combat 24-7. And so the, the fleet kind of falls into disrepair because they're at half staff. You know, nobody wants to fight a war anymore. So they're... It's basically, it's basically a metaphor for the, for the peace of the 90s. It's 90s. The Soviet Union has collapsed and now we're, now we're sizing down. You haven't even seen it and you fucking get it. And, like, at the end of the episode, the Cylons show up. They land their ground troops. They put a gun at the president's head and said, hey, this is our planet now, and you're our slaves. And he's like, cool. And then Commander Adama and the fleet see what happens. And, like, we're out. They bounce because they're like, there's no way we can stop this. So we have to come back next season and find a way to get back. So what that guy is talking about is like the first three or four episodes, season three of Battlestar Galactica is where you have an insurgency by soldiers, by ex-soldiers on the ground 
and robot occupied New Caprica while the fleet outside of radar range is trying to figure out some sort of like plan to maybe get people back off the ground so they can hop on the road again. And there's this scene and fuck it, I'll spoil it for you. It's been out for 20 years and this is on you for not watching it. I agree. There is this scene where the alien, the, the, the robots are surrounding them and Commander Dama's like, he goes, oh, we're dead. It's been an honor, <laughs> right? Which is very distinct and important uh, because then all of a sudden the other Battlestar shows up and then they get away, right? And that line, it's been an honor, is important because if you watch like the 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 J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot, right? And Kirk at one point, when he thinks they're about to die, says, I'm sorry. That's the worst possible thing you can say. And that's because it's been an honor means that we weren't wrong. We just lost. I'm sorry. Me being the captain who got you in this mess means that I was wrong and you were wrong for following me. <laughs> and so your lives have been squandered for no fucking reason. That line, those two lines always stuck out in my head. But god damn dude it's so good and it's sad and it's tragic and there's like collaborators and there's a part where a guy collaborates with the occupiers and then they bounce and they figure out oh you're one of the occupiers and they blow his sobbing sorry ass out the airlock he's begging for them to live and they're like go fuck yourself get fucked and they kick him out the airlock oh Oh, it's so good. And there's another part where they were going to kill this other guy who they thought was a collaborator and Gata. And he was like secretary to the president. And then they realized, oh, he's the one that was feeding the resistance information. And so they, they figure, oh, we should stop murdering people out the airlock because we might not know everything. God damn it. Battlestar is so good. How the fuck have you not seen it, Nick? I could rant about this fucking amazing show all day. I feel like Dwight Schrute, 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 the guy from The Office. Yeah. Oh, never seen that either. Like, are you, are you from America? Like, what's wrong I've with you? So many things. I don't. I don't watch. I don't watch a lot. There's a lot of TV I've missed because I only watch certain things. There are toothless hillbillies in Alabama who have seen all of The Office twice. They can't read, but they can recite the whole series. What? Get on it. <laughs> anyway, what else is on your list, sir? Uh, you, you mentioned you mentioned a couple of them. Well, Stargate is definitely on there because yeah. I think after seeing Aliens, and again, Stargate may have come before Aliens. So again, it is, it's kind of an amorphous. No. So I can't remember which one came. No, I know, I know, I know, I know that I know it didn't come before that in terms of chronology, no. but it for me, for me. Oh, in, in the because in the I know, I know life. for a fact that I was watching Stargate while it was airing, like in season I want to say five or six, and that was like two thousand one. So hey, uh, let me pause right here because I gotta go pee. Okay. And yes, this is all staying in the episode. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? 
What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Fuck. You alright? Yeah, I'm good. I have a cat and, you know, right around this time she always uh, discovers, I don't know, whatever cat cocaine is and runs, you know, sometimes she just runs circles in my house and then sometimes I get, I get in her way and that's my fault for getting in the cat's way. <laughs> But anyway. Bronson gets zoomies. Bronson gets the zoomies at night too. Yeah, talk to me about your dog. He's good. He's uh, he's a little neurotic, but then again, <laughs> he's he's a pit bull who is in the humane society for a year and a half. So I think neurosis oh. comes with the territory. Oh no! I'm glad he's got a good person to love on him and take yeah, care my, of. Him. He's my dad. He's he's but my dad sits on the couch. Right. Sure. And when my dad sits on the couch, Bronson has to have his head in his lap and if not more. So <laughs> it's a constant battle of Bronson. I don't want you on me. You can be next to me, but don't be on me. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so. I, I'm that way with my, with my wife. Sometimes I just want to like hug on her when she's on the, the couch and then, you know, cause she's a school teacher and she'll get home and she'll have had like a thousand children, like, harass her all day and then here comes her husband like oh i work from home my wife's home and then i just want to like cuddle with her on the couch because i miss her so much because i'm basically her lost puppy right yeah you know i get it uh, why do you think i want to date because I'm, I'm sick of <laughs> i'm sick of being emotional i'm like touch starved you know <laughs> it's a simple equation it's a simple equation you know you know it's it's not it's not like spoken about because it's like not because it's not something that men are supposed to admit to. But you know, yeah. we want we want attention just as much as women. We just don't know how to process and often express that healthily all the time. I, I don't know if that's the right way to put it. But you know what I'm saying? No, it is. And and I will say this because and and, and fuck it, you know, if you're cool with it, this will all stay in the episode, and we'll just go wherever the conversation. Sure. Um. I will say this. I know. I don't want to say no. I would not be surprised with given your uh, autism, I guess, mm -hmm. and how you're kind of probably feel very much a stranger in a strange land around mm -hmm. people quite a bit. So you're kind of like, like oh what does that mean you're interpreting things and you, you interpret the world of just a hair differently than the rest of us and that probably makes all the difference um for me you know i've got i've got an analogy for it have you ever seen men in black three yes you remember the line where the guy who can see like who can see different who's basically like or the alien the alien who wears like the, the knit the knit hat the, like the MacGuffin yeah. of the movie um griffin i think is his name 
They yeah. ask, you know, he's talking, he's telling them about how he can see through time, like see different points in time, like he's unstuck in time, like a uh, friggin' Kurt Vonnegut story or something. And uh, I think Will Smith, so that's Jay, starts to say, that sounds really cool. And Griffin says, it's an enormous pain in the ass. <laughs> kind of how autism feels for me. Because on the one hand, it makes me very, very attuned to everything that everyone is doing at all times, always. Because I'm constantly trying to see, okay, what is this person's like perception of me? What is what is this person's perception of them? What is like what is the you know? Because I'm, it, it's kind of it's kind of the it's the side that people don't talk about. People assume that autism always means oh you don't have emotions or you don't understand how to process emotions. Not necessarily. When you're a high functioning autistic person, it means that you you may process them wrong, but you're hyper focused on them because you're trying to figure out stuff that you don't have the natural social understanding to get intuitively. So it's kind of it's kind of a, it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a double edged sword and it's a curse. Because you have to teach yourself, if I if I understand this correctly, you have to teach yourself human interactions, human interpersonal relationships, things that come to a degree very naturally to kind of the baseline people, right? Again, there's another analogy for you. Go back, going back to Star Trek, there's a big reason why Lieutenant Commander Data is such a touchstone for the autistic community because a lot of autistic people see him as a good example for the sort of stuff they can deal with because he's he's trying to be human and he doesn't have a definition of what human is to start from. So he's basically trying to build his own understanding of human nature without having his own understanding of emotions that he can draw from intuitively. That's basically what it's like. I, I kind of had a, a similar moment the other day. Uh, I was... I was in a Chipotle, right? And I walked in, and as you do, and I walked in, I thought, oh, everyone's looking at me. They know I don't belong, (laughs) you know? Then I'm like, wait a minute, no. They're not looking at you. No one thinks you don't belong except you, right? Because if you think, oh, everyone thinks this. No, it's your, you don't feel like you're, assimilate to wherever you're at and you know i i mean hell going back to the the veterans assimilating idea yep you know i've been back from iraq since 2010 and i got out of the military in 2019 and the pandemic was kind of a deployment all but it felt that it oh gosh it was so familiar (laughs) i remember the pandemic kicked off and i was like oh i did this already oh shit (laughs) going to deploy to your living room for about two and a half years kind of like you know if you make a mistake like you can die but i get that though where you kind of like mandela in the forever war you're never quite feel like you fit in and you're kind of like oh well the words you say don't seem to jive with how everyone else is talking around mm-hmm. you, right? Where you're like, or you'll say a thing, you'll think, oh, everyone will find this really funny. And then they don't. <laughs> oh, yes. That's happened <laughs> to me more opposite. times I can count. And it always, always sucks. Oh, man. 
Oh. I mean, you know, another, I, I keep coming up with these things, you know, so stop me if you need to, but it's oh, like you know, another, good, another good way to analogize it, you know, from the world of, of cinema or whatever, is it would be one of those moments in the movie where someone's like, you know, in, a, in an altered state or maybe on the autism spectrum even or whatever, but like, like there's a person like at a dinner or something and they're, and they're like having their conversation or whatever and they look up and they notice everyone else is out of focus. It's kind of like that. It's yeah. kind of like being. It's kind of like living that moment, um, in an in an on and off all throughout your life, because you know when I'm with people that I'm comfortable with, like obviously right now, if someone were to come into this room who wasn't like autism attuned and see yeah. the two of us talking, or if like we were talking face to face, they probably wouldn't be able to tell that I was autistic necessarily because I'm comfortable. I mean, yeah. if someone came in and was autism attuned, they could probably tell from some of my more fine mannerisms and things like that. They might be able to get a hint. Because one thing I've noticed about, about being an autistic person is you can, you, it's like, it's like having a gaydar. You can, you can, you can notice other autistic people at the drop of a hat. You and see who's kind of performing, it, I guess. For yeah. Lack well, of yes, exactly. I mean, you can, you can tell who's performing, and even more so, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that sense you get. Um, you don't really see it anymore because of the way technology is now. But you, you probably remember, like when you'd walk into, like when you walk into a room where there's a cathode ray tube, tube television on, but the but the picture isn't on, but you can tell that it's on because you can just sort of feel that weird electric hum that tells you, oh, yeah. there's electronics running in here. It's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, I get that, man. I. Like, hmm, I'm off about this person. I don't know what it is, but oh yeah, they're on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, being a veteran's kind of like that. You can kind of yep, smell on imagine. people. You're like, oh, you seem kind of sad. You're probably enlisted, right? Like, oh yeah, 20 years. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Three ex-wives, <Yeah>. four actually. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 a very. I get that, and I remember there's like as. You know, um, I won't say there's overlap necessarily, but it's interesting you point that out because again, that's 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 a that's a way in which the two communities, you know, veteran communities and um, like neuro neurodivergent communities is yeah. the actual term for it, is have a lot of similarity because it's basically it's it's, a, it's an altered it's an altered way of experience that differentiates you from what we would consider normal or baseline you know because you know, yeah. whether, whether we're talking whether, whether whether normal and baseline is civilian or whether it's neurotypical that's something that is different from what i have been through what you've been through what other people in both of our camps have been through probably neurotypical civilian yeah hold on my cat has discovered a box full of paper <laughs> no put you down for a second sure it's your thing yeah. Are we done? You good? Okay. <clears throat> anyway, I'm back. For instance, you know, I'm kind of a big guy and uh, I've got what I playfully call capital riot face, right? <laughs> because, you know, big, stocky, angry looking, balding white dude. I fit a profile. <laughs> I get it. It's so, you know, I just, my kind of like bored thinking face is, oh, he's pissed and he's just 
it's that right and i'll walk on the walking trail near my house and i'll see people look at me kind of you know so i'm very cognizant of how people see me right i'm very cognizant of making sure people have all of the space they could possibly want right i'm assuming i smell bad um you know if i'm like if i'm walking on a trail and there's a single woman coming up i i kind of go all the way to the left right yeah. just because so then they have all the space they could want you know it's because i don't know how to just blend that way i guess so i kind of there's a couple basic ideas like oh sometimes people seem intimidated by you for some reason like i've had people cross the street right mm -hmm. and you know so and that's fine right i've crossed the street and people give me the heebie-jeebies too that's you know that's okay it's okay but you know it's but then you go to the army like i'd go to the national guard and i would know who i was where i belonged and what where in the hierarchy i belonged yeah um you know Everything and i kind of has its purpose and its station and i kind of had my own little special group of uh misfits i looked after because i was never like captain america by any means um but after a while i had been in long enough uh that i knew what not to do and i could find idiots that were very similar to myself and say hey you're an idiot but that's okay and this is what you're going to do so you shouldn't do that for these five reasons and these are all stories that happened to me you know like i would just it was i think that's called i rediscovered mentorship i guess <laughs> that's what i'm describing but and then you go back to the civilian world and it's the national guard's funny that way it's it's very much you know you've got one foot in both worlds but you're never quite in either and i love to see a military science fiction based around that i guess i could write the damn thing since I, since i i own divided by zero books there is a brand that i've established i could do it but no i'm kind of more caught up in writing my memoirs right now which you know at the ripe old age of 35 just sounds kind of silly but you know i i had an exciting first half so far yeah. and let's be honest I'm probably going to round this whole life out at about 70, right? I get it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but anyway, I think we should end on my uh, early death. So <laughs> uh, for the Derwin Lester Show, I'm Derwin. I'm Nick Oaks. I'm always glad to be here. I'm your personal uh, science writer, as we could say your nasa correspondent for the derwin lester show and i we will see you next monday morning at 0700 until i figure yes. out how to stop recording